I am so excited for the church. It's exciting uh, to be here, and I hope that you will plan on being part of all of this as Brother Overman and his family come to begin to uh, serve you and work alongside of you as the Lord leads in the church and the growth of this church. I decided um, to do a couple of Sundays that are left to me and uh, kind of get you ready for a new pastor. That's part of actually the transitional process. I'm going to try and say a few things that maybe Walter wouldn't say because <laughs> you won't have to deal with me anymore. You know, but uh, these are some things about uh, pastors and uh, families and ministry. And uh, my prayer is that the Lord will continue to bless you as he has because of your graciousness, graciousness and love for the Lord and great things that God is doing here at Providence Baptist Church. So this morning I wanted to preach on support your local pastor. Now, yes, I sort of did uh, steal that title somewhat from a couple of James Garner movies, but uh, I think it's important that you learn how to support your pastor and, and just tell you a couple things up front uh, about how to go about doing that for a very long and healthy and, and uh, blessed uh, ministry here at the church of Brother Walter and his family and, and the church as the Lord opens the door and continues. There's been so many great things he's done over the last couple of years um, even through the midst of COVID and uh, as God has blessed our church. And I, I don't think that uh, God is going to do anything else but continue to bless you as you're faithful. And that's what's exciting about it. Now, I, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to tell you that Walter is Moses. That's not the case here. But last Sunday when we did the Lord's Supper, we, we, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Paul actually referred back to this time period in the life of the people of Israel when they were uh, complaining and they were right at, the, at Horeb getting ready to make the covenant that they made with God at Mount Sinai and they had gotten through the Red Sea and, and Moses was beginning to lead them and they were starting on that journey to meet God on the mountain. And uh, Paul talked about that, particularly when uh, they were complaining about not having any water. Uh, Moses took the staff of the Lord God and hit the rock and water came out. And Moses was using that staff. He, he took it when God gave it to him, even... Uh, before he began to meet Pharaoh, and he used it in dealing with Pharaoh. If you remember, uh, Pharaoh's, uh, he threw it down, it made a snake, and Pharaoh threw, Pharaoh's wizards threw their staffs down, it made snakes, but God's staff ate the other snakes. I mean, if you remember that. And it's the same staff that he used to, to, to part the Red Sea. And it's this staff that he used to uh, hit the rock to have water come out. Paul said that rock was Jesus Christ who provided for his people. But we're going to learn another use of the staff and particularly how uh, some of, of God's people came alongside of Moses to help him and to support him. And we're going to try to make that comparison. It won't be uh, totally complete, but we'll try and make a comparison about how you, our church members, you and I can help support our pastor in, uh, in the call that God has given to him to this place. And so we're really excited about it. So we're going to look at Exodus 17 
If you'll turn there with me in your Bibles to verses 8 through 15. Um, they've just gotten the water out of the rock, and they're just, uh, again, on that journey from going through the Red Sea, heading towards Mount Sinai. Honestly, we don't know exactly where Mount Sinai was. There's a traditional place uh, that we, we believe it is, and uh, they have been journeying there, and they're getting ready, and on the way, they, they have some problems, and particularly with a group of people called the Amalekites. So let's take a look at, at Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. I'll read this, you follow me along. At Rephidim, uh, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Remember that staff? So he's going to stand on the hilltop. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. While Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill, while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he, had, whenever he put or rested his hand, he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner. He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, this is a very interesting text. I like it. It's, it's super. It's what things happen in here. Uh, first of all, we start off by understanding that they're on a journey and there's turmoil on the journey. So point number one, if you will, up there, uh, verses eight through nine. There we are, turmoil on the journey. Um, whenever we get on a journey, you know, things sometimes go right. Sometimes things don't go so right and they can be some internal problems or, you know, we left the most important thing at home or external problems, we're struggling out there on the way. And this is the same is true for the people of Israel. They're on a journey to meet God, to know God, to make a covenant with God and to help serve God. And on their way, some things happen. Well, in the same way, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, you're getting a new pastor and you're going to be all getting prepared and ready and setting off on that journey. You've been on that journey for a long time, as early as 1846, right? And it's called being a church. It's called serving God. But you can think of it as a journey. The Israelites were able to come out of Egypt, cross the Red Sea, and they were heading for Sinai. They didn't have any water, but God provided the water. They didn't have any food, so God provided the manna and the quail. Do you know what manna is? I don't either. 
In fact, nobody does. You know why? Because the name of it is, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? Nobody knows. But it was food, and they ate it, and they survived. In chapter 17, I'm sorry, chapter 17 at the very beginning, they were complaining about not having water, and so Moses took his staff and hit the rock. Uh, they left the wilderness of sin, and, and they were near this site called Rephidim. There was no water, and Moses called this place Massah and Mirabah, which means testing and complaining, because the Israelites didn't like the journey too much. And they were always complaining to God and testing him. But God provided the water, and so sooner that they had their drink and they were ready to move on, here come these guys called the Amalekites. He called them Amalek from their uh, grand or their incest, uh, yeah, their ancestor. Amalek was apparently a grandson of Esau. You could find his name in Genesis 36, 12. So the Amaleks are pretty well known in the Old Testament for being a marauding nomadic band of people. David dealt with them. Uh, they sold themselves out as mercenaries and fought for other people. They're pretty good fighters. And what they did was they saw these group of Israelites coming and they decided to attack them. So what more do they want? They're struggling with water and they don't have any food. And now here come these guys and they attack. The, Am, the uh, Amalek or the Amalekites as we call them. And they show up on the journey and create problems in the journey. At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. But Moses said to Joshua, look, this is what we'll do. You pick some of your best men and go out and fight against them. And then I'm going to go out and stand on the hill with the staff of God in my hand. That's my plan. And that's what they did in the battle plan. Number two. Number two, the battle plan, verses 10 through 11. So you got to understand what's going on here. They're driving along, they're walking along, they're heading towards the appointed place. You remember when Moses met God at the burning bush? He said, you'll know that I am true about telling you to bring the Israelites out because I will bring you to come meet me right here at this mountain. So they were going to that appointed event with God. On the mountain at Sinai, they'll make a covenant with him. But as they're going, they struggle with these problems. So what's the battle plan? Oh, let's see, we should get about uh, 15 battalions together and arm them with bazookas and, and swords and stuff like that. And they'll go out in a pincer movement. No, we don't, we don't talk about any about that. The only thing Moses is saying is, here's what I want to do. I want to have you take men, select the good men, choice men, choose those men, and then I'm going to go and stand up on the top of the hill. Doesn't sound like very good strategy, but it's the battle plan. Joshua did, verse 10, as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. Now listen to this carefully. While Moses held up his hand, or hands, Israel prevailed, and whenever he put his hands down, Amalek prevailed. That's interesting. That's the battle plan. But what isn't said is that the staff is in his hand. When Moses lifted up his hands with the staff of God, Israel prevailed. 
So now we either know that he lifted up one hand with a staff in his hand, uh, possibly both hands with the staff in his hand. That seems to be what's happening here. And he's standing there like this, and Israel was prevailing. And that's the battle plan. That's the strategy. But we're going to learn that that battle plan um, had a couple of issues with it. Because when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But when he put it down, who won? Who seemed to be winning? The, Amalek, the Amalekites, Amalek. So when he held it up, everything was great. Israel was winning. But when he let it down, the Amalekites took over and were stronger and were beating the Israelites back. So this meant that somebody, somehow, Moses had to hold his hand up as long as the battle raged. And we learned that his hands get heavy. So the third point is supporting Moses. So what happens is that Aaron, who is Moses' son, I think her, his grandson, come with Moses and they help Moses hold his hands up. They come alongside of him and they help him hold his hands up. Verses 12 through 13, when Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on the one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. The battle plan in the supporting Moses was to make sure that, and this is really interesting, is that that staff was held up. And when Moses' hands start to get heavy, really, which, you know, you, you stand there for a while like that, hold up something. You get older, your hand starts doing this. But if you're young, maybe, and Moses is pretty old here, but he's holding it up. And no, when, when the hands go down, Amalek wins, and when they stay up. So here comes Aaron and her, and they hold on each one side and the other, and they hold Moses' hands. And they're all getting tired, so what they did was they get a nice big rock, and they stick it under Moses, he sits down there, and Aaron gets on one side and holds the hand, and, Moses, and, and her on the other side and holds the hand, and there it is. And we're told here that when they did that, that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. Now, that word steady actually means true, faithful. It's an interesting word. It means that they did their purpose. They were faithful because he had helpers supporting him. You get my drift? You kind of know where I'm going to say? You need to come alongside your pastor. You guys are on a journey. You've got a battle plan. You're going to decide how to go out and win people to the Lord and minister to people and help them to come to know Christ and, and grow as a disciple. And you've got to have that battle plan and your pastor's going to lead you, but he needs your support. Even if he holds up the staff, he needs somebody on the right hand, on the left hand. He can't do it alone. One of the major problems with churches today is that we kind of think the pastor's supposed to do it all. And the only thing we, ex we accomplish in doing that is burning him out. And he burns out. And no wonder pastors will 
go from church to church because they get burned out because nobody's there to support them. Nobody's there to help them. Nobody's there to encourage them and literally to lift their hands up as they do the battle. Now, you've got to think of this. Now, again, Walter's not Moses, but he's going to go out there and he's going to stand for the Lord. He's going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and his arms are going to start to get heavy. And he's going to need you to come alongside of him and help him and help him hold up his arms, help him to proclaim, help him to be faithful in proclaiming and ministering in the gospel for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Aaron and her did. They, they held up Moses' hands so Moses' hands remained true to the tasks that God had given to him. And when he did, Israel prevailed. When Aaron, when, when Walter's here and holds up his hands and you help him, you guys are going to remain true to the gospel, to what God is calling you, because he's going to be your leader and you're supporting your leader. How can you do that? Well, you can be a faithful church member. It encourages the pastor when, you, when you're here, when you come to worship and to serve Christ together. You can take an interest in him personally, get to know him what his heart feels, what his, what his goals are, who he is. Just don't ignore him. Find out who he is. Talk to him. Ask him. You can also ask him how you can serve. What can I do? What can we do to help you? Get on board with his vision. God is calling him to help this church. He's going to be coming here, I know, and he's going to be praying to find out what the vision of God will be. He probably already has thought about it and prayed a lot about it and has some ideas, but he's going to come and he wants to be able to have the vision of what God has called you all to be and do in this community. And you can get on board with that. Ask him what, he's, what, he, what he thinks and then, and then agree with him and pray with him over. I mean, just don't say, okay, you go do it, Walter. Go find out what God is leading him to do and support him and, and have that same vision in your heart that God is calling you to serve alongside with him. I think one of the most important things that you could do is pray specifically and constantly for him. One of the things that happens with pastors is that Satan wants them to be unsuccessful. Satan wants to make sure that they don't do what they're called to do, that their impact and their, and their ministry becomes really unsuccessful. So you can pray for him specifically that God will strengthen him, that God will encourage him. And you do this consistently just to say, well, I did like three months ago pray for him. You need to pray for him every day. You need to pray for your church and your fellow church members every day. But you need to pray for Brother Walter as he comes. Pray that his arms will be strong to hold up the staff of God. I also think you could love, love his family well. I think uh, loving them well uh, will be a big deal because pastors struggle very hard and, and their families see that. Um, and, and, and it's kind of a funny thing is that you pastor, you give your heart to the Lord and then you've got a family, but sometimes the family in the ministry kind of a conflict. You have to make decisions. Um, good ones. And it's hard to know what to do because God is calling. And sometimes family doesn't quite understand what it means to have a call of God. And sometimes pastors misunderstand 
that the call of God is so exclusive that they can't uh, take care of their family. So it's a, it's a very tough thing. Uh, but you can love his family. You can make sure that they know that they're loved because of who they are, but also because of their, their, their father uh, for the kids and, their, and uh, her husband, because God has called them, him to be here to serve. And you need to let them know that you love them because Christ loves them. And God has called him to come here and serve you. And then I think maybe one last thing about supporting uh, your local pastor, supporting Walter, um, you need to let him lead you. I mean, Moses struggled with the Israelites. They complained and they griped because they didn't let the Lord, they didn't let Moses lead them. And so it's always back to this same old griping and complaining and the Lord has to do things through Moses the Lord would have done anyway, but the fact is, let Walter lead you. Let him guide you. Let him pray earnestly about where the direction should be that, that, that Providence should go, that the group should go, the ministry teams, um, the community groups. Help him to, to lead you. Give him the right to do that, to pray earnestly, to see how God might lead us in what direction that he would have us to go here as a church. I know I'm kind of hopefully, well, I'm hopefully I'm preaching to the choir, but just a reminder that if you called a man, follow him. If, you, if you're willing to vote for him, then, then, then follow him. You, you don't want to say, here, you go out there and do the battles and we're going to stand back here. You need to go join him and help him to hold up his hands with a staff of God in it. You need to do that. So you need to let him lead you to do it. Aaron and her are there holding up the hands of, of Moses as this battle rages. And they figure out how to help him hold his hands up until, as he tells us, the going down of the sun. And when the sun went down, they were able to defeat Amala, the Amalekites, the, the uh, Amalek, and the army of Amalek uh, with the sword. So Israel won. Israel won because they were supporting Moses. Aaron and her were helping to hold his hands up. And it was a victory for them. And they were able to go on. Now, I want to talk about the victory of God's people. And that um, should be verses 14 through uh, uh, 16. But anyway, verses 14 and 15 there's something peculiar about this um, statement about the victory of God's people that we need to think about as well and consider because it's how Brother Walter and his family are going to help us and how God really wants us to understand that, that uh, he wants us to be victorious as well. So immediately after the battle was over, the Lord, uh, let's read verses uh, 15 and 16, uh, I'm sorry, 14, 15 and 16. The Lord then said to Moses, write this down on the scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. He said, indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord be a, will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, there's, there's three points in here, at least, that are kind of, in a way, um, in the background that, that need to be kind of understand. 
uh, understood. And a couple of them are interesting, but eventually they're going to tell us about the victory of God's people. By that I mean the Lord tells um, Moses to actually write down the account of this battle. Uh, write down the account of it. Uh, he says, write this down on a scroll as a, the Hebrew word is zikaron, as a memorial, a reminder. But not just, oh, you know, I, I need to remind myself to get uh, celery at the grocery store. Not that level of reminder, a reminder of a big deal, something that took place that is to be remembered for all times. Uh, so it's, it's really the word memorial should be better Write this down as a, a memorial, something that you will remember. In fact, he says, rehearse it, uh, put it, literally, put it in the ears of Joshua. You know, there was a guy who got a, a fly in his ear and he wondered why he kept going around hearing buzzing noises, right? Because he had a fly in his ear. Well, Joshua was supposed to have this memorial in his ear. What happens if it's in your ear? You don't, you have to listen to it. You don't stop, you don't forget, you remember it. And so Joshua, by the way, is going to be the leader of Israel after Moses dies. Joshua is the next leader and the memorial is to stick it in his ear so he remembers it. Are we teaching our leaders to remember the memorials that God made here for us? What are the times here at Providence Baptist Church, where it was obviously a God thing, that God did this. And, and we could, you know, we have a historical committee and we can have a room and we can put up stuff around the wall. What do those things tell us? What do they remind us of? Not maybe, hopefully not maybe just the good times that we had, but primarily the times of God's deliverance and care and God's help to be this kind of church right here since 1846. And that's what this is. This isn't just a, a post-it note you stick on the, the, the refrigerator, say, go pick up something from the, uh, a reminder, from something from somewhere. This is a memorial, something to remember that was significant. And we need to have our memorials for our church. And, and we don't want to drone on about them in terms of all history and people say, oh, history's dull. But we want to remember when those moments happened where it was a God thing, that God did it. And that's when churches begin to understand how they are led by God. You see, you are the church, yes, but not under your power. You are the church who comes to gather, but not in your name. You come in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit to worship a holy God who has worked in your midst in ways that are amazing and astounding. And when you catch that sense, then the history of this church is, becomes transformed because you know you are looking to a holy God waiting, just literally waiting for that, mo that next God moment where God is going to work. When you're going to see his hand, you're going to see his love, you're going to see his power through the Holy Spirit. Because that's what a church does on its journey, from journey to journey to journey, from step to step to step. It's going as God leads for God to do mighty and great things that we never thought were possible. 
And that's why it's to be written down. Now, the Jewish people took this in a different way. It says there, write this down and re recite it to Joshua because I will completely erase out of memory the same word, by the way, we get the word memorial above it in just a, uh, the previous verse, previous sentence. I will completely erase or wipe clean the memory of, of, of Amalek under heaven. So Jewish scribes, when they began to, to copy out the Hebrew Bible, I'm not kidding. Literally, they were told to write down the name of Amalek in this account. And then immediately after they wrote the name of Amalek down, they were to wipe it clean, erase it. Literally, erase it. Get it out of there. And they went back and rewrote it, of course, because they're copying the thing. But they did this little ritual of writing down the name and then erasing it. And they did that. They wrote on vellum and ink, and they would take a little bit of water and a cloth, and they would erase it off. And by doing that, they were following God's statement that he would blot out, erase the name of Amalek from generation to generation, from all time, under heaven. Isn't that interesting? They kind of did that. But I want to remind you that God will deal with his enemies. We may face enemies. We may not see God's judgment in this earth, in this life, but God will vindicate his believers. And God will bring judgment against those who hate him and those who hate his people. So remember that no matter what people do to us, no matter what things seem or how bad things get to be, God still is on the throne, which we're going to find out here in a minute. He's still on the throne and he still will take care of us. Okay? But that's just a funny little thing. But the point before it is, is that this is to be a memorial and we need to cherish those memorials. The next thing is that Moses builds an altar and, and he said he named that altar. Now, when you name an altar, that's important. It's not just a little deal. They haven't gotten to Sinai yet. They haven't begun to make a covenant with God, but they're going to build an altar. And when they build an altar, what do they do? They have a worship service. Okay. They worship God. They sacrifice to God. They give thanks to him in worship because when you give an altar and you sacrifice, that's giving God's thanks. We should always have worship that gives God's thank, you know, gives him, gives him our thanks. We need to make sure that, that, we're, that he understands this. We don't just come here and do a ritual. Hey, some angel up in heaven wrote my name down that I was there. And I'm so thankful that God's not including Sunday nights or Wednesday nights or all these other things. But I got my time in and I'm here because that's the ritual. But that's not what we do. We need to worship him and meet him because he's here with us. He's always with us. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always. And we can come and know him and remember his power and remember his strength. And you know what Moses did when he made the altar? He named it. So it's significant, very significant, that they worshipped after the event, thanked God, right? But what did they name the altar? Did they name it Horeb? Um, altar, you know, alternative altar number three? They didn't do the, what did they name it? They named it a very important phrase that you may have heard because it's been kind of popular to talk about 
these names. They named it, the Lord is my banner. Now, some people will say Jehovah Nisi, uh, Yahweh Nisi, but a couple of big name uh, writers have written books on the names of God, and they talk about all these names, Yahweh Yireh, and, and, and all these other names that, that the Old Testament gives to the Lord God. You know, and those are significant because when you research the names of God in the Old Testament, they always have a specific purpose and reason. And you can grow and learn a lot about God and about God's care for his people by looking up these names and the purposes for the names. Now, what's interesting here is that Moses said, the Lord is my banner. Where did that come from? Moses, what? What happened here? Where'd you get this from? Well, it's kind of simple and it's very powerful in its meaning and we don't want to lose this meaning. The point is that in any battle, you have your array of army, your platoons, your battalions, and even today, they have names. They're either Charlie Company or something or other battalion. And you know what? Each battalion has a flag and that's their banner. Sometimes it isn't like a full-fledged flag, but sometimes it's various shapes and sizes made out of cloth and it's on a pole. And they march into battle with that banner high. And we have that in the ancient world as well. This is a very ancient concept to identify, of course it helps the generals to identify what group is where. But they lift up their banner and their banner Sometimes these soldiers would pledge their life to the banner. They would hold it high. When it fell, they'd immediately pick it up. Kind of like in battle, sometimes the flag bearers will do that. No matter how many times that, that flag bearer falls, there'll be somebody to pick it up to hold that banner high because it symbolizes and points to who and for whom they're fighting. For their country, or even their band of brothers, the fellow soldiers. It's their banner. It marks who they are. And listen to what Moses did. He said, my banner is not an army. My banner is not military prowess or, or might. My banner isn't some other king or individual or even me. My banner is the Lord. Now, what's interesting is, is that the banner that Moses was holding high was what? The staff of the Lord. And he was saying, that's our banner. That tells us who we fight for. That gives us a reason to stand and head towards Sinai to meet this God, this God whose staff helped us to be freed from the bondage of sin in Egypt. It split the waters for our path across the Red Sea. It brought water from the rock. And here, this is the banner that has prevailed. And we have won because of God. And it actually uses his personal name. Sometimes we translate that Yahweh. Sometimes we translate it as Jehovah. But in your Bibles, you'll see this big capital L and capital O and capital R and capital D. And whenever you see it all in caps, that's God's personal name. 
When it's in lower case letters, it means it's translating the word Adonai. So some uh, Jewish people today, they won't say God's personal name. They'll say Adonai. Sometimes they'll simply say the name, the phrase, the name, because they want to honor God's name. Because only one time a year, one person was supposed to enter into the Holy of Holies. That was the high priest and call the name of God. Moses is saying, that's the name, the banner. The Lord is my banner. Yahweh is my banner, some people will say. Even sometimes they'll say Jehovah. And when they write the books on the names of God, you'll hear it as Yahweh Nisi or Yahweh uh, or Jehovah Nisi. Nisi means my banner. And it refers to that military banner that people fight under. And Moses is saying, we go and we fight for the Lord. We are. We're called to be soldiers, Christian soldiers, serving him, fighting, standing for his kingdom, helping other people to know what kind of a God we serve and who he is. And the victory for our people, the victory for Israel came because the Lord was their banner. And the victory for us will come the same way. Now, that third last point I wanted to make about this is in verse 6. Moses said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, why did Moses say that? Well, Moses wanted, I think, to make sure that the people didn't make a very terrible mistake. The terrible, terrible mistake is thinking that the banner is God. And it's never the banner. Moses said, my hand or the hand that was lifted up with the banner was pointing to the throne of God. Pointing us to the real person we need to serve and we need to follow. Does that make sense? Because people want to serve relics all the time. I don't know how many pieces of the cross there are in various churches all over Europe, or even the tooth of Jesus, or, of course, which shouldn't be the case, or something of the saints, relics of the saints, or they build a, say, crystal cathedral to worship in, or we bow down some way, somehow to some memory that we replace the worship of the holy living God with an item, with a, basically an idol. We don't know what happened to, uh, totally to that staff. It was put in the Ark of the Covenant. But we don't know where that is either, unless you believe it's in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. somewhere. That's a, that is if you've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. We just don't know where that is. And yet we, we, don't, we, we understand that we don't worship an item. We worship a living God. This God is, will, will be at war from his, with his enemies forever, from generation to generation. He just doesn't battle the Amalekites and then sit down and say, I'm done, I'm going to go on vacation, go to Disney World, or I'm going to retire. That's not our God. He's always there. And he wants us to understand that it's not an item we worship. We don't worship Moses. We, don't, we won't worship Walter. We won't worship a thing, but we will worship a, a living, personal God.
who loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross. And the staff that Moses held up, Moses was saying it points to him. It points to his throne, his power, his glory. He is the king of the world and we serve him. And guess what? They were going to make a covenant with that mighty king on Sinai. And that's what I think we need to remember here in supporting our local pastor. We're not worshiping Walter. I don't think he would want us to do that, of course. But we worship and we need to hold on to and we need to follow the God he's pointing to. And that's why he, we're calling him to be the one to point us what to do, where to go, and to hold on to that wonderful God and Savior who died on the cross for our sins. So our support of Walter isn't just to make him wonderful, but it's to glorify God. We don't just take care of Walter and his family because he's our pastor. We take care of him because he's pointing us to Jesus, because he's pointing us to God. That's a sacred task. It's a wonderful task. And he's holding up the staff of the Lord here to help us tell others about Christ Jesus. So learn how to support him and love him and care for him and to help him do that ministry. Moses had Aaron and her who came alongside. I wonder who of us will be the ones who will come alongside and help hold up Walter's arms, his hands. That's what God is calling us to do. Don't forget that we serve a wonderful God, but we also thank God for Walter who's coming. Pray for him that God will lead him in this way. Now, a wonderful hymn that I know and love is Victory in Jesus, and I would like the musicians to come forward. It is what we sing, that we have victory in Jesus. The victory of the people of Israel were in God as Moses held up the staff of God. By the way, it was called not Moses' staff. It was called the staff of God. And as we sing victory in Jesus, as God leads you to make a decision, if God's calling you, to come to know his son Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're not sure how to do that, give us the opportunity to share with you the gospel, to, let, to teach you how to come to know him. And if you're looking for a church home, then feel free to come. If God is calling you to join together, because great things God's going to do here in our church, and we want you to join with us as God leads. Whatever the case may be, you stand and sing with me right now and come as the Lord leads. Let's stand and sing.